going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Let's get right into it and waste no time. Mayor Nahed Nenshi joining us on the program today. Good day, Mayor. Ah, thanks for having me on and congratulations on your new gig. Mm-hmm, thank you so much. So the first question I want to ask is sort of an open-ended question. So you're voting yes. Yeah. So, you know, the funny thing about this is, despite all the conspiracy theories and, you know, oh, the mayor is doing this for his own personal legacy, let's just open brackets here. If I were still the mayor in 2026, I would be the longest serving mayor in Calgary's history by far. Um, So, you know, that's not what it's about. Um, But despite all of that, you know, what I've really tried to do is kind of keep my head down and work on negotiating the best possible deal for Calgary. Because it's not so much that I've been pro-Olympics, even though I do enjoy the Olympics. It's been that I've been pro-Calgary and pro a really good deal for Calgary. So despite all the drama and all the sausage making and all the hysterics uh, of getting that deal done, you know, I said I owe it to Calgarians to put all of that drama and all of that emotion in a drawer and just look at the deal and ask myself three questions. Is this good for Calgary? Is it a good financial deal? And will people understand it so that they can vote? Uh, in the plebiscite on Tuesday. And when I look at the deal, I say to myself, you know what, this is not actually a good deal. This is a great deal. This is investment in Calgary from the federal and provincial government. I call it a tax rebate because, of course, we send so much more of our taxes as Calgarians to Edmonton and Ottawa than we get an investment back in Calgary. And this is a great way to recoup some of that. Um, It's a 10 to 1 return of just straight up investment, not economic benefits, straight up investment in Calgary. We put in 400 under just under 400 million and we get four point something million billion back. So a 10 to 1 investment return. So I think that's all pretty cool. But as my mom always used to say to my dad when he came home from shopping on Saturday, honey, it doesn't matter if it's on sale if we don't need it. And so I also really wanted to look at the benefits and what we're going to get out of it. And I think that the benefits, both physical in terms of what we're building and what we're renovating, and also in terms of brand and awareness uh, for Calgary are really extraordinary. And, and Ernst & Young cost-benefit analysis confirms that the benefits far outweigh the cost. So long way of saying, I've, cha- I've made up my mind, I've decided to vote yes, and I hope others will too. I want to know, judging after that uh, closed-door meeting that you guys had for quite a few hours there, you came out and said, this isn't a good deal. Yet, if the timelines are correct, you would have seen the letter or gotten word of the letter saying that the deal's been reached and, and it was the deal that came out later that day. And I'm wondering, I don't want to call it flip-flopping, but it seemed as though there was no, just, flip-flopping just a factual going change. on. Right? I, I have never said that. Um, I would never say that because there wasn't a deal at the time. So I don't know where that came from. Um, because what I've been saying the whole time is I'm reserving judgment until we have a deal. Now, Councillor Woolley came out and said, I don't think this is a good deal. Um, but when I ultimately looked at it, um, and when it was signed and delivered uh, publicly that night, I think it's a very good deal. Okay, so what what I'm wondering, though, is is the way that it was made out timeline-wise is during the weekend, that weekend, we had what we thought was the federal deal, which I believe you said wasn't the right deal. Correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. That's correct, yes, yes. So Monday night, according to the letter that was open, uh, that was made public, uh, there was a deal, the deal that I believe everybody's now in agreement with, was struck on the Monday night, correct? 
the timing is getting a bit fuzzy after all these days, but certainly there was a deal. Uh, there was a long, lots of hours of discussion over the weekend. Right. Uh, I think people came to an agreement in principle on Monday night, mm-hmm. and the feds and the province signed off on that by Tuesday night. By Tuesday night. Okay, so... And then council's big debate. So council had a committee meeting on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. and then council had the big public debate, the seven-hour-long public debate on Wednesday. Yeah. The the behind-closed-door debate that was had, or discussion that was had, uh, was that in regards to the deal that was, or the, the, the agreement from the weekend and the federal funding, or was that in regards to what was sort of on the table as of Monday night slash Tuesday morning? Well, so as you know, I can't divulge what happens uh, in those closed-door negotiations, but I can tell you certainly that province was looking, uh, council was looking at the most recent information, and you know, there's a reason we were behind doors for that long. Understood. So my question then, with all the confusion in that, is are you concerned at all that council's handling of this file tainted the perception of this potential bid? Uh, I don't think, I think council did a pretty good job. You know, there's a report out um, this week from uh, a guy who's been following the Olympics for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the headline is, hey, Calgary, you have the most transparent Olympic bid in history. And he's written this report and uh, quotes a whole bunch of other Olympic experts saying, no other city has been this thoughtful, has been this open, for better or for worse, uh, and has been up as upfront with its citizens about things like potential cost overruns and risk as Calgary has been. So in that case, I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of what we've done, even though it got messy at times. You know, I wish that we had done this a lot earlier, uh, and I wish that our partners at the provincial and federal government had really finalized, and particularly the federal government had finalized their deal, you know, weeks and weeks before they actually did. But as I said, in the end, I got to set all that aside and look at what's on the table. There's not much sense in dredging up um, how we got here. I'm really focused on what we're doing here. What do you say to those who fear their taxes are going to go through the roof with a, an Olympic bid? There's been a lot of fear-mongering on this, and I would encourage people to actually look at the numbers. So the city of Calgary's contribution is just south of $400 million. Of that $400 million, just south of $300 million is really the cost of the field house, the soccer and track and field 12-month um, facility that we don't have in Calgary uh, that we desperately need. It's been our number one unfunded priority for years. So that's a big chunk of it. A big chunk of the rest of it is for badly needed renovations at places like McMahon Stadium. But the total amount, just south of $400 million, even if that was funded fully through property taxes and debt, which it normally would not be because we operate under something I call the Nenshi principle, which is we don't take on debt at the city of Calgary unless we have a source other than general revenue to pay it back. But even if we did, even if we took it all in the property taxes, even if you had to pay 100% of the city's contribution to the Olympics too through your property taxes, uh, UC economist Trevor Toome, who's been a real analyst and critic of the bid, has estimated what that would cost in your property taxes. Any guesses? It's $25 per house per year. And that's the worst case scenario. For those who go, that's still too much. You know, that's a legitimate question, and you can say that's too much. Uh, but I say, look look at the benefits. So the worst case scenario is 25 bucks per house per year. That gets you a field house that rejuvenates the uh, eight venues in Calgary that were used in 1988 Olympics so that they're good for another 40 years of kids learning to skate and ski 
and slide uh, on those. And it gets you media coverage of Calgary equivalent to 31 Super Bowls. So, and that's the worst case scenario, 25 bucks a month. Sounds like a pretty good cost benefit to me. All right. So one of the benefits slash problems that we may be facing still is the security overruns. And I want to talk to you about that in just a second. Mayor Nenshi joining us on Calgary today here on 770 CHQR. We'll be back in just a second. Mayor Nahed Nenshi is our guest here on Calgary today. And Mr. Mayor, skepticism because the federal government can't seem to agree on if or who's going to cover security cost overruns. I'm wondering, how do you address that perception? It's very weird. Let me back up on the issue of cost overruns, because this is something that's been uh, really top of mind for me, because I need to protect Calgarians and mitigate risk as much as possible. So if you don't mind, I'll talk about cost overruns generally, Mm -hmm. and then we can zoom in on security a little bit. So again, this bid is totally different than any other bid in Olympic history. Um, It's the first time ever for a Winter Games that bids have been what's, if you want to be technical, called Agenda 2020 compliant. But what that actually means is that these are bids that get bonuses for fiscal prudence, for saving money, and so on. So we're not doing Sochi, we're not doing Pyeongchang, we're not even doing Vancouver 2010. So when you look at the issue of cost overruns at the Olympics, every Olympics since 2000 has broken even or made money on actually running the games, you know, through ticket sales and sponsorships and things like that. Where you get cost overruns is typically on the capital side and building stuff. And in this bid, we're not building a lot of new stuff. We're just building that field house and some ice facilities. Everything else is renovation and repair. And, you know, since I've been mayor... Every single major capital project of the city has come in using my four favorite words, on time, on budget. This new central library, for example, on time, 10 million under budget. And so we're very good project managers. But one of the reasons for that is we're very careful with our budgeting. So in the existing budget, already funded, is $1 billion of contingency for cost overruns. A billion dollars. So you'd have to blow through a billion dollars. You'd then have to blow through several insurance policies before you even got to cost overruns. And the odds of that, I think, are very unlikely because we've covered that at the front instead of having to deal with cost overruns later. The exception is security. Security is the one area where you want to be careful because, God forbid, if there's a terrorist attack or if Canada is at war just before the games, then suddenly you want to beef up security in a very significant way. And there has been a lot of confusion from the federal government. But the latest we've heard is that The federal government is willing to sign the document which is required of all national governments that bid on the Olympics, and that is a pledge to to deliver a safe and secure games. And given that, there's a lot of semantics at play here, but given that, that means that security is ultimately their responsibility. How do you convince someone, and I'll be, I'm the first, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is I want to be a yes, but it feels as though there's just something missing here. How do, you, how do you put any fears to rest here? Well, you know, I think it's good to have fears. I think it's good to have something in the pit of your stomach saying, is this the right thing to do? And I appreciate that. And so it's not so much putting fears to rest, but asking the question, is this worth it? When we think about the amount of money we're talking about, when we think about risk as we've mitigated it, is it worth taking that risk? And you know what? Calgary is a place that's built on entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, by definition, take risks. When I opened the new public library last week, I thought about what this place means for Calgary. You know, just yesterday, I got to be all Indiana Jones, and I opened a time capsule that was placed in the cornerstone of 
City Hall in 1908. And what I was thinking about was that in 1908, Calgary had fewer than 40,000 people. And they built this incredible Richardson Romanesque City Hall. They weren't building that city hall for a city of 20 or 30 or 40,000 people. They were building it for the city they wanted to be. And they were willing to take a chance on the future. And for me, when I think about the Olympics, when I think about what it can do for our brand value, when I think about what it did in 88 and how we can take that to the next level, when I think about the relatively small amounts of money we're being asked to put in and how we've mitigated risk, I say to myself, you know what? Forget about the politics, forget about all the people on the yes side and the no side who are being so emotional, and just say to yourself, what's right for Calgary? And does this feel right? And for me, it really feels right for us, especially in these times. Remember, we won the 88 Olympics in 1981 at the height of the National Energy Program, and people said, now, nah, we're taking a risk on the future and we're going to be something. And I feel like here's an opportunity for us to do that again. And so given the relatively small levels of risk we're taking and the potentially huge return. I think it's a deal worth taking. Mayor Nenshi, I appreciate the time and the comments today. Thanks so much, Joe. I know a lot of people had more questions. It's just a matter of running out of time, unfortunately, but certainly something that he's, you can always get him on Twitter if you need to. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Over the last week, we've been able to dive into a number of issues surrounding the Olympics, whether it's your taxes, whether it's waxing nostalgic whether it's the infrastructure there's been a whole bunch of different topics that we've dived kind of micro into to talk about the macro picture today is i guess i said that it was going to be that uh talking waxing nostalgic but this is what we're going to be talking about here gary bobrovitz former global news journalist and a long time at that joins us now from Florida to talk all about the lead-up to the 88 games. And it all started a long time before, though. Gary, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, no sweat, Joe. How are you? Fantastic, man. I want to get it right from the horse's mouth. Someone who was there during the, the not just the Olympics, but also everything beforehand. And let's go back to when that bid was first even conjured up. What was Calgary like at that point, you know, late 70s, early 80s? Well, it was a much smaller community. It was about 530,000 people. And it was a community where everyone pretty much knew everybody else. And long before social media ever came along, <laughs> and long before some of the hyper-partisan politics that we see today, it was a simpler time. And I think uh, people uh, believed someone when they said, this is the information, these are the facts. And Calgary was a very community-minded uh, city back in those days. The history is this. In 1979, there was an organization called the Calgary Booster Club, which promoted amateur sports in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And one day they had a meeting. It was in the fall of 79. And someone said, you know, what Calgary really needs, because we were enjoying very um, high world oil prices, and we were on an economic boom back in those days. Right. And they said, what do we need? And they said, we should go bid for the Olympics. Of course, everybody started laughing. Yeah, yeah, who's crazy enough to do that? Two guys stood up, Frank King and Bob Nibbon, and they said, okay, we'll do it. Everyone thought they were crazy, but they weren't. They were uh, two private businessmen that worked in the oil patch. They were also community supporters, and they wanted to promote amateur sport. They had very low expectations. They just wanted to make an attempt to 
perhaps secure the games. I don't think they really believed that we could get them, but they had that sort of can-do Calgary spirit that uh, we see in the uh, Calgary Stampede, that we see in our professional football teams and in uh, the professional hockey team, although the Flames weren't actually there yet. Mm -hmm. But it was that sort of community spirit that drove the Olympic bid, and these were private businessmen. Uh, These weren't politicians. What is different when it comes to, I shouldn't even say different, but was there ever a thought of, let's say, a plebiscite, or was there much in the way of pushback during that time? There was some pushback, but nowhere near on the scale that uh, we see today. I think the community genuinely wanted the Olympic Games back in uh, 79, 80, 81, and uh, they trusted the uh, bid committee that uh, if these were the numbers, they believed them. And I think Calgary was sort of a small city that wanted to be on the international stage. We were known for our oil and gas We were known for the Calgary Stampede, but we were sort of still a backwater, even in Canada for that matter. And I think people wanted to show the world that we could bring a large international event like the Olympics and do it upright. And generally speaking, there was a unanimity and uniformity in the support of the Olympic bed way back. I'll tell you that um, one of the prime movers was a former Alberta Premier Peter Lougheed. Mm-hmm. He personally endorsed the Olympic Games. He was, of course, a, a Calgarian. But as premier, he saw this as an opportunity to really showcase not only the city, but the province of Alberta. Uh, Ralph Klein, who became the mayor in September 1980, was also a strong supporter of the proposal to pursue the Olympics. And so was a guy named Trudeau. That was Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who was Mm. the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin's father. And the federal government was solidly behind the Calgary bid right from the very beginning. It's interesting how times changed that way. I'm curious, was there a lot of shock when the IOC did actually uh, award the games to Calgary? Well, I'll tell you, Joe, that happened in September 1981 in Baden-Baden, West Germany. And for Those that are too young to remember, the Berlin Wall was still in place and Germany was divided. I had the fortune of being at that particular event. I covered it uh, for the Global National News Network. And you might still see that old video kicking around when they announced Calgary. And they did it in French, by the way. Mm -hmm. The entire front row of the Calgary delegation jumped up and started screaming and yelling. And um, it sort of makes me a little emotional right now because I remember that so well. It was one of the happiest moments in the lives of everybody who was in that Calgary delegation. Not only the people who were bidding for it, the volunteers, even the media who accompanied the committee to Germany. We were also very happy because we understood the significance of winning this bid, how much of of a big splash we were going to make on the international stage. And I'm telling you... uh, Let's just say a few beers were drunk that night. (laughs) I have no doubt about that at all. Gary, stay on the line for a second. If you're wondering about uh, the differences between 88 and now, Gary is the guy to go to. Gary Bobrovitz. Uh, We'll be back with Gary in just a second. Former Global News journalist Gary Bobrovitz joining us on the program, not necessarily to wax nostalgic, but to certainly get a gauge of whether we're comparing apples to apples or apples to oranges when it comes to the 88 games and the games now. And Gary, we've talked a lot about the process behind the games 
But let's talk about the city leading up to the games actually getting started. Well, uh, I'll put it in perspective for you. When we won the bid in September 1981, we won the bid in Germany, the price of oil was about $32 a barrel. Now you're going to think, geez, that's not so high. But in 2018 dollars with inflation, that was about $135 a barrel. So we were riding high in probably the biggest economic boom that Calgary ever experienced. Right after we won the bid, everything crashed. The price of oil went down to $9. That's about $27 in today's money. And Calgary went through one of the worst economic downturns in our history. People lost their jobs. They lost their homes. Construction stopped. Everybody left the city to go back to B.C. and Ontario and Newfoundland because we were really dead. And the Olympic Games did two things. It provided an economic stimulus because there were construction jobs with all the facilities. It provided service jobs for people related to the Games. And it gave us a feeling of hope. People were really down on their luck in the middle 1980s. And the Games were a bright spot. They were the light at the end of the tunnel. Just got to keep going a few more months, just another year till we get to the Olympics. Everything will be better. And that was the attitude that most people had. And the games served that purpose. They uplifted everybody's spirits. They made Calgarians feel good about themselves at a time when maybe they had lost their jobs and they couldn't make their rent or mortgage payments. And it had a galvanizing effect psychologically on just about everybody in this city. And that magic... It's hard for me to describe it, but it was very real, and it carried us right through to February 1988 when we lit the torch in McMahon Stadium, and the games were officially here. It'll be interesting to see what happens come Tuesday and if some of that magic can be uh, will be reincarnated if Calgarians so choose to do so. Uh, Gary, before I let you go, I know you're. we're getting in touch with you in Florida, of all places. What are you doing down there, first off? And two, are you ever really going to come back? I'm going to say no. It's about <laughs> 32 degrees. It's very warm. I'm in Orlando right now for the World Powerlifting Championships. Thank you for asking, Joe. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I set a world record on Wednesday. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much. I'm um, resting up today, and I lift again on Saturday. Hope to set another world record. I'm getting a tan, and I don't know if I'll ever come back. What's it, about <laughs> two degrees in Calgary? Uh, it's it's not nice. It's not 32. I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's fantastic. Great job, my friend. It's uh, it's great to hear you're doing well still uh, as you're, you're power lifting your way into the record books. Thank you very much, Joe. Sunday is Remembrance Day, and all week we've been talking about the different aspects, including the 100th anniversary of Armistice. Today we speak with someone with deep military roots. Art Jorgensen's father served in World War I, among others. He himself served in the Canadian Navy Reserves during the Korean War, and nowadays he's a gallery watcher at the Naval Museum of Alberta. Art joins us now. Thanks so much for the time, sir. My pleasure. What does Remembrance Day mean to you? It means an awful lot. Actually, it means family to me because uh, I have relatives from the First World War, the Second World War, and Korea. So uh, there's uh, a lot of family to me with Remembrance Day. When you th- having been in the service myself, I just it's religious too. <laughs> mm. When you look back on your familial ties to Remembrance Day, what? 
I guess, sort of highlights maybe the time that they spent serving to you? Well, the very first thing is my father. My father was a uh, first, uh, I'm a first Canadian, first generation Canadian. My dad was an immigrant and he uh, joined the Canadian Army in World War One, And he was lucky to get through quite a bit until 1918. And in 1918, he got shot in both legs. Uh, at the Second Battle of Cambrai, which was in 1918 in October, as you would know. And so that's very important to me. They would have amputated right in the field had they been ready for it, but they weren't. So he got on an ambulance into a military hospital, and he spent uh, until 1919 in Scotland, in Edinburgh, at a military hospital. And then they sent him home, and they saved his legs, and he could walk behind the plow on the farm, Perfect. So when World War II comes along, he decided, I better join the Army. So he did, and they found out that he had these two big holes in his, in his legs, and they said, sorry, but you can't, uh, we can't take you. So he walked out, went across the, to the Air Force, uh, <laughs> and walked in, and they said, well, you know, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a farmer. And they said, well, what do, do you have any mechanical skills or anything? He says, well, he says, I've got a tractor, but I, I've got my first class uh, engineer's paper, boiler engineer's paper. And they said, you do? And he said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, I guess you're going to work for the Air Force for the rest of the war because you're going to be a boiler operator in one of our British Commonwealth Air Training Plan airports. And it turned out he spent his, the Army or the Air Force in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And... Uh, so that, that's important to me. I had a couple of uh, Army guys that came home and one that didn't, uncles. So that's very important to me. And uh, one stayed in until he retired. So was, I, have, uh, I also have, even from the Korean War, I have uh, a cousin that was in the Navy. That's the reason I joined the Navy. And uh, I had a three cousins in the army in uh, in Korea. When you look back on that time and you look back at your time, I know you served aboard the HMCS Unicorn, uh, the, the different things that you and your family have gone through, why is it that you continue to serve and continue to uh, be a part of, of the Canadian forces and, and all that it entails? Well, to me, it's really easy. My very first Uniform was a, as a sea cadet in 1946, and that's like 70 some years ago. So uh, that kind of got me into the Navy. And when Korea started, I turned old enough to get in the Navy, so I joined the Royal Canadian Naval Reserve in Unicorn in Saskatoon. And uh, during during our training periods, we uh, got to serve aboard two old. Well, they were during the Second World War. They had been minesweepers. And they put them in mothballs at the end of the war. And then when Korea started, they took them out and recommissioned them as coastal escort vessels. And they were basically training ships for, for guys like me. So we were trained and ready to go, but never got called to go to Korea. So when the war was over in 1955, I got my dis- discharge and went back to work. So that's my Navy time. And that never left me. Uh, I was... I'm still in the Navy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still belong to the Navy. I'm proud of you. That's important to me. 
How difficult is it in your mind to try to keep uh, keep Canadians, uh, I guess, attuned to our past? I mean, we've lived through a, a fairly peaceful time, comparatively speaking, over the last you know few decades here. And as some of the uh, some of the veterans from, especially the two world wars, get fewer and fewer between, it's hard to make that connection for a lot of people. And one of the things that just uh, 10 minutes ago, I was talking to two boys, Chinese boys, one from China and one that is a Canadian, and they knew as much about our wars as I did when we were, when we were speaking down there. And I think that's really, really something that I noticed doing this at the museum. As I, I talk to people from all over the world and all nationalities. I talked to a Russian doctor a girl, young lady, doctor, come on, she just moved to Canada. And uh, she knew as much about our history as I did. And I, I think that we kind of dismiss what people do know and don't know and what they care about. It's uh, heartening to hear that for sure, sir. Art Jorgensen, uh, first off, thank you so much for the time. But second of all, thank you to you and your family for all you've done for our country. My pleasure. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.